Maybe just trying to stay out of the way of the world and what's going on in the world and, and just saying, well, you know, I don't know about all this. I'm going to mind my own business and come over here. And, and I'm not saying that we stir up trouble or anything like that, uh, but, but, I, but I think to pack away um, fighting for what's right is wrong. Amen? And so uh, we started last week just as a little bit of a recap, uh, and uh, the, the title of last week was The Home Front, and that's the first place that we start and so when we're talking about the weapons of our warfare and where we need to be and what, what we really, where we need to really start, and, it, and that's at home. And so we came out of 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, starting in the 4th verse, and it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And we talked a lot about strongholds uh, last week. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and read the verse and read the Amplified, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit. But verse 5 says, Casting down arguments uh, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, I think sometimes we, when we read this scripture, we think that this is for other people. You know, like, like this is, oh yeah, I'm going to, if somebody says something that's not biblical, if somebody says something that's not right, the weapons of my warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty, and I'm going to come against that. And I'm gonna, no, no, this is talking about the things that are in you. Paul is talking to individuals. He's talking to a church, but he says, there's some things in you, but the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty, and they're for, they're for pulling down strongholds in our life. How many of you know you can pray for somebody else, and I do believe in praying and interceding for other people, uh, but how many of you know that a lot of times you can't really adjust permanently something inside of someone else? Only the Holy Spirit can do that, right? And only people, uh, that person can allow the Holy Spirit to do that. We can be an influence. We can be an encouragement. Uh, the Lord can use us to speak the right things, uh, but we can't go in and start twisting other people's knobs. It doesn't work, amen? We might be able to do it for a moment. We might be able to do it for a season, but they're going to they're gonna reset it, right? I know uh, years ago when we had analog soundboards, and some of you guys will remember, and they, they're still there, but you know, we, it's been a while since we had one. Now, everything's digital, and when you get things set the way you want it, even if somebody does mess with it, you can always go back to the last thing you saved, and it'll reset, right? Well, years ago, I mean, we just swore that there, was, there were these little, um, you know, somebody would come in every week and mess with something. And, uh, and, of course, we, we did learn later on that uh, weather has a lot to do with sound. You wouldn't think so, but weather has a lot to do with sound in a room. But needless to say, there were times where we walked in and we went, who messed with that knob? Who pulled that down? And so we spent all this time getting it right back where it was and then, you know, be good for a few weeks and here, here we go again. And so, uh, you know, you can tweak somebody from time to time. Uh, and, and we call that, that, that's a nice way of saying manipulate somebody from time to time. And you can kind of get them to do what you want them to do, but they're always going to reset back to what they desire and where they're at. And really, and if it's something negative in their life, the only person that can really work with that person is the Holy Spirit. Amen? But we're talking about us. We're talking about our life, our heart, what's going on inside of us. The Amplified Version says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. And so we, I looked up that word strongholds last week when I, when I brought that, and the word stronghold that's used here is the Greek word that means arguments 
and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. Now, when uh, Paul is talking about strongholds here, he's talking of it in a negative sense on the inside of us. How many of you know if the absolute truth in the Word of God is set up shop and it's strong in our life, that's a good thing, right? But Paul's talking about negative mindsets, negative arguments, negative opinions, things that are on the inside of us, that were placed on the inside of us that have been given validation uh, because maybe you've proved some things. You know, sometimes we can literally prove a, a, a something in our life and we can say, see, I told you it works this way, but it doesn't mean that it's the right way. Amen? You can do things. You can make things work. How many know that in the world you can go out and you can get... Uh, you can have success dishonestly. You can. There's a lot of people that have success dishonestly, but it doesn't mean it's right. And a lot of people, I've even talked to a lot of Christians that, uh, you know, they kind of have, you can tell just by talking to them, they kind of have this thought in, on the inside of them that it, if it doesn't hurt anybody and nobody finds out, then it's not, it's not that bad. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a stronghold on the inside of you that needs to be rooted out. Amen. And so, because why? Because God wants us to deal honestly and deal justly. Amen? And uh, so, the word stronghold, arguments and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors. So, we use arguments and we use reason to uh, fortify, to protect, to armor my opinion and defend my opinion against the opponent. What would be the opponent? The opponent would be truth. It would be the Word of God. Right? Because the Word of God is coming. When you begin uh, to read the Word of God, when you begin to hear a truth, then it's coming to oppose a untruth. It's coming to oppose a stronghold in your life. And we can reason and we can argue on the inside of ourselves and, and to defend off truth and not allow truth in. Uh, how many of you would be honest in here and say, I've done this? I'm going to raise my hand. I've done it. I've been sitting here in a service before, and, and the guy doesn't even know who I am, uh, you know, preacher or anything like that, but I could have swore that somebody uh, that I know called them up and told them something that was going on, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, well, why is this guy picking on me? And why are they reading this? And, and then I'm going through all these different ways that I can justify it and I can reason it. What's going on? And what's, what's happening is there's a stronghold in my life that is under attack by the Word of God. Amen? And right there at the end it says, it says that we need to bring every, it says, uh, uh, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Watch this. Being ready to punish all disobedience. So a stronghold in your life, a thought in your life, uh, even if you're not acting on it, if it's in there and you're protecting it, eventually you will act on it. And if we're, if, if we're protecting something, not allowing the truth to get to it, then we're in disobedience right there, you know. And some people say, well, I just don't know. I didn't do anything wrong. Well, Jesus said that in the New Testament uh, that if you, are, if you actually commit adultery, then you're an adulterer. But he said, now I'm saying that even if you look on the opposite sex or the same sex or whatever today, if you look on them uh, with lust and you have that desire, you've already committed adultery. Before, you didn't even have to touch anybody. That's what Jesus said, right? 
And what he, what, what's going on there is, is that sin doesn't, doesn't happen when it manifests physically. Sin begins at a root, and that root is a stronghold, which is a thought, which is a desire, that it is exalting itself above the truth and the knowledge of God. And if we don't allow the truth to come against that and be ready, what Paul said, be ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so when there's something on the inside of you that is, you know it's not right, rather than reasoning it out as how to, maybe it's okay for me, or, you know, I've had a, I had a rough childhood, or, you know, I was this, or I was that, or, you know, I just need this, or I just need that, and it'll be okay. Nobody really ever find out. That's not the point. The point is, is that you're not ready to punish your disobedience with obedience. You're, you're trying to fortify it. You're trying to protect it. You're trying to armor it so that it, it stays in a place where the truth can't get to it, and it, and it's Somehow, for a season, makes you feel comfortable as if God passed that up, as if maybe we camouflaged it enough where he has forgotten about it in our life. That don't happen. <laughs> Have you ever had, I call them stumps. The, the word of God calls them strongholds. But you ever had a stump of a thought in your life and the Lord will come and he'll try to help you get that thing out and you're like, I just don't know. I've been there a while, Lord. <laughs> And you, you try to cover it up with some, you know, uh, you know, leaves and you just try to say it's not there. Well, he'll circle back to it. And then he'll circle back to it. And then he'll circle back to it. And, he'll, and he just won't leave it alone. And then not only that, as I said a while ago, he'll get other people on board and he'll begin to have other ministers preach on it. He'll, he'll get other people on board like our husbands or wives and, and people and friends and they'll begin to speak to these things and, you, and you'll feel surrounded. And why? Because the Lord is surrounding that stronghold because he wants to take it down. Because he knows if it gets taken down in your life, then you're going to have freedom in your life. And if you have freedom in your life, you're going to have blessing in your life and you're going to have joy in your life and you're going to have peace in your life and it says being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled so the the fastest way to get rid of this stronghold in your life is just to obey just obey i know it sounds real real simple but i've been there too it's really hard but you know especially uh this generation and i and i'm saying this generation not exemplifying myself from that or or making myself exempt from this generation we justify a lot of things. We justify a ton of stuff that are, that's directly against the Word of God. And, and today, it's not about what's right or wrong. Today, is about, it's about how well you can argue the fact that it's okay for me to do it. Now, how many you know no matter how well we can argue, doesn't make it any more right to God? Amen? And it doesn't make it any better for you in your life just because you can argue it well. Amen? So... Going on to the vines, when I looked up this verse in the vines, it's uh, talking about strongholds. It says, of those things in which mere human confidence uh, is imposed. And so if you look up that word human confidence, that's a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities and qualities. (laughs) Let me read that again. Human confidence is a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities and qualities. How many know in today's world that is not only acceptable, but it's preached. Self-confidence is preached to everybody. Find your own truth. 
You need to do you and be confident in who you are. Well, that, that's, it's a half-truth because I'm not confident in who I am. If I was confident in who I was, I'd have never needed Jesus. Amen? I'd have never needed Jesus if I was confident in who I was. I was so unconfident in who I was. When I found out who I could be in Christ, I died to myself and I was raised to life with Him. Amen? And the thing that I fight all the time is getting out of self-confidence and staying in Christ. Amen? Because when we get into the believing that, that, that we're something and that we always have the right ideas and we're never wrong. And, and, I, and you know, I mean, not everybody's going to say this. I mean, if you ask every single person, you walk up and say, hey, are you ever wrong? People would say, oh, yeah, sure, I'm wrong. And you say, name a time you were wrong today. They wouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Because plain and simple is, everybody thinks they think right. Me included. Come on. You know, one of the, one of the hardest things for people to do, and, I, and it would be hard for me to do, <clears throat> is if someone came to me and said, I don't think you're thinking properly. To the point where I think you might need to get some help and get some medicine. Now, if somebody came to me and my arm was broken off, and they go, I think your arm's broke, and you need to get a cast, get that thing set, maybe even surgery, I'd go, you know what, I think you're right. But how many you know things can be broken in our minds, and things can be broken in our hearts, and things can be broken in our souls, and we are very, very protective of those things. It's a very prideful thing, and it hurts our pride to be told, I don't think you're thinking properly on this point. Or I, I think maybe you might be wrong. Don't hit me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. I don't want to be told I'm wrong. But, but a lot of times what happens is, is people create a world, they create a place where they're the one that is always right. And if you ever come against them and say, no, you're not, you get kicked out of their world. Anybody ever experience this? I don't agree with this. You can't come over to my house and play no more. And I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about adults. I don't think you're thinking right right here. Well, you're not invited to my party. You know, you get kicked out of people's worlds. for So therefore, nobody says anything. Right? But here's the thing about it. As Christians, that's, that's here, there, and yonder and in the world. But as Christians... You know, we ought to have accountability in our life. We ought to have people that we trust. I have people that I trust. I have people that I go to and go, hey, this is what I did. This is what I said. Am I wrong? And they're not scared to say, yeah. Or, no, I think you're, I think you're good there. I think you're thinking properly there. I trust them. But even before I go to a person, I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, something don't feel right about this. Can you help me make an adjustment in my life. If we do that, we're doing what Paul said. We're ready to punish disobedience that is trying to set up shop in our life when we just simply obey. Amen? Just simply obey. So human confidence, and reminding you what the vine said, it said that a stronghold is of those things 
in which mere human confidence is imposed. So to impose something is to take advantage by demanding their attention or commitment. So we could say a stronghold here in 2 Corinthians 10 is a thought that we have confidence in that demands our commitment to keeping it as a part of our thought process. We protect it and hold it in a place that no one, especially the Word of God, can disturb. And that's where you get people getting, like, you know, people say, uh, and sometimes they're joking and sometimes they're not. So, oh, you sure stepped on my toes at that service. That's what they mean. They mean I was not, or somebody was knocking up against, uh, uh, you know, other people call it holy cows or whatever. It's a stronghold in our life that we hold dear. And, and plain and simple, it's just holding us back. Amen. I, wanna, I want the Word of God. When I, when I pray in the Holy Ghost and when I read the Word of God, I, I want to always be in a place where I'm giving the Word of God permission to seek and destroy. Find the untruths in my life and get rid of them. Amen? I'm nowhere near perfect. I got a long, long way to go. But I'm telling you, when you, I can look back in my life. I can look back at the things that I used to think. I can look back at the things that used to plague me. I, I can look back at, at those things, and I can see a lot of empty holes uh, where, uh, where there used to be strongholds that have been just cut down by the Word of God and by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we, uh, when we protect our opinions and thoughts from the truth of the Word of God, it creates disobedience in our lives that leads to our overall direction being dictated by our fortified and protected opinions and feelings instead of the truth of the Word of God. This is where we must wage war in our thought life. If we're ever going to be effective, anointed, powerful witnesses that the Word of God says that every believer is. So moving on to tonight... I want to move into an area, and tonight's message is called uh, Defeated Foe. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about our adversary. You know we have an adversary. Everybody in here should know that we have an adversary. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, so now we know who he is. He is an absolute adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I think some people think that just like a human, how many of you ever met a human that can be really, really nice at times and then just go off the rails? You know what I mean? Just like, whoa, they're a different person. And then, and they, and then like there's other times like, oh, well, they were, they were nice today and they told the truth today and they, they were good to me today and, and oh, we had a good day. I think some people think that the devil's like that. That some days he has good days and you can trust him. Every single word that comes out of his mouth into your heart is a lie. Even if it's the word of God. You say, even if it's the... Yeah, uh, go back and look and see how he tempted Christ. How did he tempt Christ? With the word of God. So Satan has the ability to speak to you the word of God, but the very fact that it's coming from his lips means that we do not obey it. It's always a lie. It's always a trick. He is always trying to beat you. Always. There's never a moment, not on Christmas, not on vacation, 
not, uh, you know, when you're, when you're all snuggled up and cozy. There's never a moment in time where he takes a break. He's always up to no good, right? The word adversary here that's used here, uh, and I love this because, you know, a lot of times when we think about adversary, especially in this, in this uh, series, we're talking about weapons of our warfare, so we're kind of using uh, war-type uh, um, you know, analogies, but right here, the, the, uh, the word that's being used here is actually um, is coming from the aspect of uh, an opponent in a lawsuit. That's what the word uh, got translated adversary in our Bible, but in the Greek, the word that was used, they would have understood it to mean that um, Peter was saying that uh, the, the, your opponent in a lawsuit, that's the kind of, so it kind of takes it from a different place. It takes it from a place of, of someone who is, uh, you know, across, across enemy lines from you and, and they're shooting at you and throwing bombs at you. And it takes it into a, a different arena. And uh, have you ever been in a, in, a, in a fight with somebody who, um, you know, was very um, physical, you know? I mean, I've, I've been in a fight with, with people that were very physical, and, um, you know, they weren't real smart, but they were very physical, and so you had to be physical to win that fight. I mean, I don't, I'm, not, uh, I'm not, you know, promoting fighting, but I have been in a few, and I've been in, fi- I've been in a few fights where the person was physical, and we physically wrestled, we physically fought, we physically, you know, uh, hit each other, and, and everything we could do to win. But then I've been in these other fights, and they were with someone who was equipped up here. Those are different. And if you ever come across a master manipulator, that's about as close as you can have the embodiment of Satan because that is really how he fights. He is a master. He tried to tempt the Son of God with the Word of God. How much dirtier can you get than that? He went after the very first people that God ever created and destroyed them. How much dirtier can you get than that? And he did it by twisting the Word of God and getting them to believe a lie. Come on. We've got to understand and know our adversary, because he's not someone that's coming to box with us. He's not coming to wrestle with us. He's coming to twist thoughts and weave ideas into our hearts and our minds until he so confuses us that we go a direction that is not meant for us to go. And we find ourselves in disobedience. This is not a war of flesh and blood. This is a war of words. This is a war of accusations. This is a war of thoughts. It's a war of ideas and suggestions and blame and guilt and manipulation and and twisted half-truths. That's what this war is about. And if we're sitting here thinking... You know, we're, we're standing at the door with our AR-15 waiting on the devil to come through. He ain't coming. He's already in. He talks to you at night. He talks to you in the morning. He talks to you at lunchtime. 
He suggests all the time, trying to get you to bite on a lie. I've seen good men, good women, good Christians, good ministers, that all of a sudden they start going down this weird place. And it all started with a stronghold that was a lie that they bought into and then protected until it became a direction in their life. Amen. And if you touched it, you weren't their friend no more. You know, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good litmus test. Because there's the truth of the Word of God that's on the inside of me. And if someone comes to argue that, it doesn't bother me. I don't get upset about that. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking tongues. And I know there's a lot of people that disagree with that. It don't bother me because they disagree with that. It don't bother me in the least because it's God's truth. And I've experienced it. So therefore, I don't have to fight about it. But there are other things in our life that we know they're not right. And someone comes to, they just touch it like, hey, what about, you think that's the right? And you just, well, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't see nothing wrong with it. I just don't see nothing wrong with it. It's probably a pretty good thing, idea or a litmus test there that that may be a stronghold that's been put there by Satan and not by God. Because I've never felt offended when someone tried to touch or talk to me about the truth of the Word of God. Because there's a peace there. There's a love there. There's something there that it, it's... it's, it's uh, well, I, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, it's untouchable. Once, once the Word of God reached, roots itself in your life, if somebody wants to argue with you about it, it's just kind of like, eh, it's there. I mean, how, you know, like uh, Kenneth Hagin said years ago, uh, when someone was trying to talk him out of uh, the fact that he had been filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, you got to me too late. I mean, you just got to me too late. It's already a truth that's in my life. It's not a stronghold that I'm protecting. It's a truth that's growing in my life. Amen? And so, um, the most damage is done to you. If you want, I, th- I want you to think about this. The most damage is done to you when you're distracted, when you're weak, weak in your spirit, weak in your mind, weak in your body. And that's when he attacks. He attacks when you're sick. He attacks when you're stressed. He attacks when you're knowingly in sin. He rarely ever attacks when you're prayed up and in close communion with the Lord. Think about that. Why? Because you're doing what Peter said, being sober and being vigilant for your adversary. You're, you're aware. See, he, I'm not saying that he can't make a suggestion that you can't just be minding your own business one day, just going la-di-da, and him just kind of something begin to happen in your life or whatever, and a good day goes bad, you know, so to speak. But, you know, some of those things are are just consequences or, I guess, just circumstance of living in the world. And, and uh, you know, we, all, we go all biblical on it and say, well, the devil's just trying to throw me off today. And, and maybe he is. But most of the time, if he really wants to get to you, 
He's not distracting you with your car being broke down. He's not concerned about all that stuff. He's waiting for you to get in a place of weakness. He's waiting for your mind to get in a place where you need guidance and you're not going to the Word and you're not going to prayer to get that guidance. You're, you're thinking, you're reasoning, you're reaching all out here trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. And guess what? He will oblige. He will oblige. And so when you're, when you're weak in your body, when you're weak in your mind, when you're not prayed up, when you're not being close to the Lord, that's when He likes to attack. That's when He likes to pour it on. He's very, very patient. And, he, and he, he loves waiting for that. But good news is we are built to fight this. You know, I know that sounds like a lot of bad news. But I think we need to understand our adversary. And we are built to fight. First Timothy uh, 6, 11 through 12, Paul told Timothy this. He was a pastor. And he said, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, gentleness. Verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of what? Faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we read that a lot of times and, and we see fight the good fight of faith. You hear people say that all the time. It's on t-shirts, on bumper stickers, it's on everything. But I, I wanted to go back and I wanted to say what spurred Paul to tell Timothy this. And so I, just going back to verses 3 through 5, this is, the, this is what he said before he told him to flee things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, and fight the good fight of faith. This is what he said in verse, starting in verse 3. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent... To wholesome words. So he's talking to a pastor of a church that's his son in the faith. And he's talking about this war of words, this war of ideas, this war of truths. And he says, listen, if anybody <coughs> teaches anything other than these wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords... Accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes. I want you to really take a big deep breath here and think about the amount of Christians that are obsessed with disputes right now. Obsessed. They got to be right. But listen, this is what Paul is saying. Listen. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a mean of gain from such withdraw yourself. There's a way that we can get caught up in fighting in a way that we were never meant to fight. 
Because then he, after he says all this, he says, but you, man of God. So he, he's talking to people in the church. He's saying, listen, if there's anybody who has resorted to going outside of doctrine and outside of the word of God, and they're talking this nonsense, and they're, and they're just... You know, they, they love arguments and they, and, they, and they love all this contention. He says, get away from them. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. You know, Paul also told the Corinthians when he was talking about spiritual gifts. Because, you know, a lot of people want to argue about spiritual things. They want to argue about doctrines in churches and all that stuff. And I, I think that the, the only argument you need to have about doctrine is, is, is your doctrine out of the Word of God? Or is it an argument? Because as I was saying before, if it's out of the Word of God, there's a peace that comes to it. I don't have to argue it. Don't offend me in the least that you're wrong. I don't care. <laughs> but... He, tell, he tells the Corinthians, because he's talking about this, they're having problems. There's people there, they're, they're trying to operate in the gifts, and there's other people that are, are against it, and, and, and some people are doing it wrong, some people are doing it right. And so, so when he goes in and he begins to describe to them what we need to do, he says, listen, it's good to desire spiritual gifts, but here's the thing that he said before that. He said, but pursue love. So if your pursuit is not love, and in here, right here, he says, Flee these things and pursue. I've never, I wish I could figure out how. I've never ha figured out how to go two directions at one time. I wish I could. But I can't go to Tyler and Shreveport at the same time. Right? So it's a fallacy and it's a trick of the enemy that will get you chasing something that is as far away from, the, from a person or a man of God or a woman of God that it can be, but make you think that you're actually going the right direction. And so over and over, Paul is saying, he's telling people, he's, so, so right here, he's telling Timothy, and he told the Corinthians, he says, listen, desire spiritual gifts all you want, but pursue love. That's your pursuit. And then right here, he says, listen, if somebody's doing all this stuff, man, get away from them. He says, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience. That sounds like something. Anybody know what that sounds like? Kind of sounds like fruits of the Spirit. Kind of sounds like we ought to be pursuing, cultivating the fruits of the Spirit in our life instead of protecting arguments that are against the Word of God. So, I mean, look inside yourself. Are you building fortresses of protecting to protect your ideas? Are you growing vineyards of the fruit of the Spirit? Because you can't do both. you got to knock those things down. you got to allow the Holy Spirit to root those things up. If you want to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession and the presence of, very, of many witnesses. I wrote this down. Don't get caught up fighting on the wrong battlefield. We can do that. And I think it was Paul that said again, he said, I'm not one that beats the air or like a shadow boxer. 
that I want every single punch to land. Don't get caught up fighting on battlefields that you don't belong on. Fight the good fight of faith. Too many Christians are away at war on battlefields they'll never win on. And here's the bad thing is right now the church is suffering because of it. There's a lot of people fighting for a lot of things. They're fighting for popularity. They're fighting for status. They're fighting for, you know, uh, earthly gain. Um, They're fighting for their political party. Fighting for a lot of things. But one thing you don't see them fighting for is love and joy and peace and righteousness, holiness. How about that? How about fight for that in our life? To cultivate that. How about who cares what your house looks like and what you drive? And as far as like how it's projected in the community. I want to ha- live nice. I want to drive nice. But not because I care about what other people think about me. And what does it matter? What does it matter what status you are in the town if your status as a Christian is down here? Because we've been pursuing the wrong things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, revelings, evil suspicions. That's paranoia. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Just get away from it. And then pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. We are built to fight, but only in faith and not in the flesh. 1 Peter 5.8 says... Be sober, going back to that. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, resist him, steadfast in the faith. So we fight the good fight of faith. And then Peter tells us the way we can defeat him is that when we resist him by being steadfast in faith. Amen? Resist him, steadfast in the faith. The devil has no faith. Can you imagine that? He has no ability for faith whatsoever. There's not an ounce of faith in him. He does not have the ability. So the devil has no faith, no ability to compete with someone in faith. Standing firm on the good confession of salvation by grace through faith. That's why it's so important to understand what you have in Christ. The only way he can defeat you is to get you into a doubt and questioning by getting you to focus on feelings, opinions, circumstances, and outright lies. That is where he wants to get you. If he can begin to play on your feelings, on your, on your uh, um, opinions and circumstances, he can get you to focus on that. Then he can get you out of faith and he can get you into fear and getting you focused on those things. But he is a defeated foe. So war tactic 101, I don't know if it's 101, but I just said it should be, 
It's to understand who you're fixing to fight. I mean, I think that should be one-on-one. Understanding who you are about to fight. To understand your adversary. Most importantly, it'd be really good to understand their history and their weaknesses. Right? Not that we're exalting our enemy. It's not that we're... Um, you know, wanting to talk a whole lot. You know, I know there's, there's some people and there's some churches that they don't even want to talk about the devil. They don't, they don't, it's kind of like when, when somebody uh, does a school shooting, they don't want to mention their name. And I understand that. But listen, if we don't begin to understand his tricks and who he is, and not only that, his history and his weaknesses, then we'll make him or he will make himself through Hollywood and through other things, make himself bigger and badder than what he really is. And so, Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2 that they needed to be quick to forgive. Now, we don't have time to go back and read it, but you can if you want to go read 2 Corinthians 2. But basically, he was telling them to be quick to forgive and not hold anything against anyone because it was a doorway to Satan. And this is exactly what he said after this. He was talking to them about things that they needed to do. And in verse 11, he says, lest... Talking about all these other things that we need to stop doing. And mainly it was about forgiving and forgiving each other and forgetting things. And he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us. This is how he takes advantage of us. And he's talking to a church. He says, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I think a lot of Christians fall because they're just ignorant of his devices. And Paul is trying to make sure that the Corinthians are not ignorant of his devices. And he's saying, listen, you need to get rid of this unforgiveness. You need to get rid of these squabbles in between you because it's a door to Satan. And, and listen, if we don't do this, he's going to take advantage of us. We don't need to be ignorant of his devices. We can't be ignorant of the way he operates, but fully aware of how he works now, I love Luke 10 in this series of scriptures here. Just in case you forgot about what happened, just a quick little, you know, recap of it. Jesus sends out the 70. And he sends them out two by two to go minister. And he's sending them out. Well, they come back. And when they came back, it said, uh, picking up in verse uh, 17, it says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And I love Jesus' response because I just, I just get this picture of Jesus like he's like propped up on a rock or something, eating grapes or something. And his response is, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I, I think it was a, who did you think he was? I hadn't been scared of him in the least. I'm not worried about him in the least. I, I know who he is. I saw him when my father cast him out of heaven. Before that, he was a fancy worship leader. I don't know why y'all so worried about him. I mean, walking around with his jewels and pinky ring. And he got smart one day with the Lord my father, and he threw him to the earth like lightning. He ain't nothing. Why, why is that important for us to know? His weakness and his history. Who he was. Because see, Hollywood has painted this picture, and he's done it with them. He's used them. 
paint this picture of this big, bad thing that is just, whoa, I tell you what. And these 70, they come back and they say, the demons are even subject to us in your name, Lord. And he goes, yeah, I saw him fall like lightning. Then he says, behold, I give you authority. How many times have we cried out and said, Lord, just get the devil away from me? He's not. Why? Because he gave you authority. He says, I saw him fall like lightning. Now, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. This is a picture of, of demons. And over all the power of the enemy. And not, nothing shall by any means hurt you. So Jesus fully understood who Satan is and also who he was and what his weaknesses are. That's why he was and he still is victorious over him. Hebrews 2, 14-15 says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions, zealous for good deeds. Colossians 2.13-15 and you, being dead in your trespasses and, uh, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them. So the greatest argument to have against the devil... And fighting the good fight of faith is by declaring who you are in Christ. See, if he, does, if he figures out you don't know, he is going to paint a picture of himself to you that makes you think there's never going to be a way to get away. The, the good fight of faith is, and the argument that wins every time, is pointing back to who you know you are in Christ. One scripture. One scripture would do it. Ephesians 1, you guys ought to know this by now. 1, 17 through 22, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul's praying this prayer for the church, and this was the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that he wanted them to get. The next couple of scriptures. He says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe. According to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at the right hand of the uh, Father in the heavenly places, 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So Paul, if, if we could take that one scripture and argue any argument Satan would have against us. Anytime he would try to come against say, I'm, I've been seated together with Christ and um, he's far above you. He's far above all the demons. He's, he's far above any principality, any power. And I'm, I'm seated with him and, and, and all things are under the feet of the church and I'm the church and so I'm above this and so I don't even understand why you're talking to me. I don't even understand what makes you think you have the right to even talk to me. See, most people just hear Satan tell them truths, maybe even about their self. Oh, you're stupid. Why'd you do that? Why'd you say that? Oh, you're never going to have it like them. All these things. And we listen. We listen. Would a king listen to a beggar? No. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We don't have to give the enemy a second of our time. Oh, he's going to make you think. He, he's probably, uh, if you're a telemarketer in here, I'm sorry. But I guarantee you, God did not think up the telemarketer. Because Satan's the best telemarketer there ever was. He's the best door-to-door salesman there ever was. You ever met a really good door-to-door salesman? I'm talking about won't let you say, take, won't take no for an answer. Just keep you there. And you're like, oh, listen, those are people, and we don't need to be out and out rude necessarily. Necessarily. But we're talking about the devil. You can be as rude as you want. No. Oh, he'll call you up a thousand times a day. The only way to block his number is to begin playing the Holy Ghost. That's what I found out. Because he'll call up. He'll go, hey, you want to think about that thing that that person did to you again? Because it was really fun watching you go through all the steps of anger when I told you about that again. No, not interested. I don't know if this is helping you or not, but this study is helping me. We need to not just mentally understand that Satan is a defeated foe, but also spiritually understand and pick up the weapons of our warfare and fight accordingly. We need a church that fights again, that fights the good fight of faith. Amen?